Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Up. Welcome to Talk Up. How are you, Rob? Today, Russell, I am feeling like we are all made of stars. True. And I'm not referencing our week, which has just been the most mental week here in London for Freeze, where we have literally hung out with some of the world's most iconic stars, including Donatella Versace mm-hmm. and Dua Lipa. Who you well, know we just say hung out with. We were in the same room. Yeah, we, babes, we, we, <laughs> met, we met Donatella we Versace. We met Donatella. I, I and we had our yeah. photo taken with her, but we haven't seen the photo yet. But we, we love our Donatella. And... Should we tell them why we haven't seen the photo? No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the reason I bring up that reference is actually, it's from a Moby song, which I always used to really, really love that song. And I like the idea that that even though we're living in the present and we're here right now, we're actually kind of connected to history and to, I like the idea of the, that we're kind of like connected to the stars in the sky somehow. And that like, we are all from this kind of giant past, a kind of like epic, it's quite, it's almost like futuristic, but looking back whatever that is back to the future maybe back to the future (laughs) and that is the kind of feeling i get every time that i see today's guests work yeah and there's some kind of more obvious connections to it because the painter that we're about to meet today references art history and often will pick out elements from paintings that have been you know made in the past and then re re kind of contextualize them within her own work but also there's an element which you can actually see right now at the Hayward Gallery in London and in the group exhibition that we recently spoke to Ralph Rugoff about where, where you kind of see these very like elevated kind of moments of almost like film glamour or something, mm. you know, and like and like actual stars, like in people's... Yeah, icons. Skin, yeah, yeah exactly. Luminosity. Luminosity, and it's all about light. Yes. Which, that was This basically. artist loves light. Yes. Loves light. So we are all made of stars. Uh, we, <laughs> <laughs> we would like to welcome to Talk Art... Louise Giovanelli. Hey guys. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh no, it's, it's a brilliant. real pleasure. To see you. So you've been in London all week for freeze. Yes, I came last Monday, and yes, I'll be going back today. What's today, week? Today's Sunday. <laughs> oh god, tomorrow. What? Are you going back Monday? Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> so you've got another day in London. Last lucky track day. of time. Yes. Yeah, it's been great. And what's it, what's it like as an artist coming to Freeze? Because as a gallerist, for me, it's really overwhelming because you have to like meet everybody. But I always, I'm always curious to know how artists feel about an art fair. Or... It's a funny one. It, I mean, I really enjoy it, but it is a strange experience for you as the artist because it's kind of a bit like, you know, if you eat meat and then you go to the butcher and you yeah. see how it's done. 
It's a bit sick sometimes. It's a bit wisdom of Oz, like you suddenly see the inner yeah, workings. How it, yeah, how it goes down. Um, sometimes takes a bit of the romance out of it, but other times it's just so exciting because you bump into loads of people and have great conversations and it's like very concentrated. It's like all the art going on at the moment in one room, multiple booths. So yeah, I, I like it. I, I really enjoy it. You had worked there this year, didn't you, with Grim Gallery? Yes, yeah, I showed in the booth with Grim. Yeah. And how, how was that then to see your... Is this the first time you've seen your work at Freeze or has it been here before? I showed last, last time at Freeze, but because of this whole corona thing. That was two years ago now, I What's think. That? That is some, that. Cough, <laughs> some cough that's going around, I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. and then in between there was obviously the online uh, art fairs and stuff that were, that were happening, you know, these viewing rooms, which I also took part in. But that was the last physical art fair, was Freeze 2018, I think. And that was with yeah. Grimm Gallery again? That was with Grimm, yeah. That was when I first started to work with Grimm. Yeah, so that was also super exciting. Yeah. And it's yeah. interesting because I feel like I discovered your work during this pandemic um, through the internet. And it's quite an unusual thing because normally you discover someone's work in person. But I feel like your paintings actually really translate in a way through image. But actually in real life, they're very, very different. Um, what was it like for you? Because you must have had that experience a lot, I imagine, with people sort of discovering you and getting excited about you through digital. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, yeah, well, I'm glad that it works this way around. I think my works do do translate quite well through images I think the whole thing with light that you mentioned earlier on that comes through um, filters yeah yes I think it, it works I'm happy that it's not that type of painting that just is completely lost and flattened I mean still it makes a total difference doesn't it when you see a painting in real life but yeah it's well, uh, yours especially <clears throat> yeah because yours you are seeing the image there's, there's kind of two sides that you see the image and you're trying to work out what that is or or connect to that but then the surface of the paintings themselves you you, you mark them you scratch them you allow us to see the multi-layered process that you go into to create these works mm-hmm. you want to reveal that you want the audience to see your process as well as enjoy what it is the finished things so there's a conceptualism to it Definitely, yeah. I'm very interested in surface and the technicality of painting. And I, yeah, like you said, the the paintings are quite layered, very slow process, multiple layers of luminous colour on top of each other. Um, and you really need to see them in, in real life to, to get a sense of all of that. And you're right, I'd, I'd use these processes that kind of they interrupt the surface a little bit. There's There's room for the viewer to kind of peer into the surface, you know, when I leave certain things um, unpainted or I scratch something out or these lines that kind of split the surface and they're all little windows for the viewer to to peer through and to kind of, yeah, see what that, see what the process is before it ends up the finished image. Why, why is that? Why do you, why do you want that to be part of your language? Because it's a painting, fundamentally. It's not, otherwise it would just be a photograph, right? Otherwise I'd just be making a, a picture rather than making a painting. It's a very different thing. I think those are my favourite artists or painters, paintings. It's when it's a painting rather than a picture. You know, it's like, it's very, it's very subtle um, difference, but, you know, when something's too illustrative as a painting, when, when the artist overtells it, overshares, when everything is contained in it and there's no room for ambiguity <coughs> or in- interpretation, it's... Um, yeah, it's just all, it's descriptive, it's overly descriptive, whereas what I try to do is leave a bit of room for the viewer to come to come in, um, and so I think those um, parts of my process 
where I reveal the materiality, reveal certain aspects of the surface. I think that's a way of trying to do that. It's also, I guess, it's because the image that you, the imagery you choose, is very kind of photorealism at times. You're taking it from film stills, found imagery, your own photographs, but it is photographic sources that you are working from to create the painting. So I guess what you're saying is you don't want people to think this is a photograph that you've worked over or this is a kind of piece of uh, found photography work that's then been manipulated. Yeah, well, the, the photograph or the image that I find, it's it's a starting point often. Always it's a starting point it's, and then it kind of functions as a blueprint, but... Um, the, the painting, the technique, I always like for that to take it in a different direction, <clears throat> you know. So the, yeah, the image is the starting point, but then paint, the physicality of the paint kind of transforms it and, you know, paint does something that photography can't do and, you know, all the other mediums can't do. It's really a very plastic medium. You can just, yeah, you can take it in a, in a different direction. So, yeah, that's important for I me. I think it's also imbued, paint for me is also imbued with, history with time it always feels timeless like it's been yeah. there it's from the earth it's kind of like lived a life and there it is suddenly this mm -hmm. is how it is now there's that 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 magic of paint that's why i think everyone is always drawn to painting above all that's kind of in mm -hmm. the hierarchy of, the, of art it mm. feels like paint is number one because of that because it has this kind of depth this it holds in itself history it's got a soul hasn't it like yeah. uh, because it's so connected to nature like when you make the actual pigments and you crush exactly. like minerals or rocks or crystals yeah. to make the colors i think that's also linked to that idea of like i don't know that we're all from some other planet or something do yeah. you know what i mean mm. but like you certainly are we're, i know thank you. I'll, <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment i got there in the end babe um <laughs> Yeah, and also that idea that paint doesn't dry. Uh, you know, if it's oil paint mm. in particular, like how, how oil paint can take, like, decades to actually... Well, you know that Frank Auerbach story? Oh, yeah. So Frank Auerbach, you know Frank Auerbach, yeah. the painter? So his works have now come up in auction and they were made in the 40s, the 50s. They're so thick, the paint, that it's not even dry. So the surface is dry, but underneath it's still drying. Yeah. And it's, it's going to continue drying probably for the rest of our lives and beyond. That blows my mind. <laughs> you know what I mean? That underneath there is still wet paint that oh, was yeah. painted like 70 years ago. That'll never dry either because these are too thick. It just creates a skin and then inside it just will never dry. Oh, wow. Yeah, if it's that thick. What kind of paint do you use? Oil paint. Oil paint, yeah. But I use it in a very different way, so I very thin layers, whereas he's just straight from the tube. It's quite dry. Like The paint seems quite dry what you use. Uh, yeah, so some of it is, is quite dry. Um, yeah, I have this technique. It, I have lots of different techniques, but I'd say the one I use most is uh, is quite a tr traditional tr technique, um, old master kind of, where it's like the the least amount of the best quality pigment I can I can find. So it's like super super highly charged pigment and hardly any of it. And then and then if you use that on top of a very bright white gessoed ground you get this luminosity which you just can't get if you use say um, tube white you know it's, it's counterintuitive you, you think okay if I want to make a luminous painting or a very bright painting or if I want to um, make a colour lighter I just squeeze in some white paint but it actually does the t total opposite it makes this kind of horrible grey like clagginess on the surface so th the best way to do it is just use very very thin um, translucent paint over white a white ground and then the white of the ground functions as the white you know it's, it's kind of hard to describe unless we have a painting in front of us but that's you know in terms of my work that's how I get that luminosity 
And why did you feel this kind of like draw to wanting to create images that have that luminosity? Is it is it something that you'd seen in like old master paintings or something? Because that's mm-hmm. actually the kind of thing that I immediately connect with your work is like having been in Rome, for example, in a church and like looking at some of those paintings. And you just don't get that light quality in a lot of contemporary painting. There are certain people that can do it and then do do it. But I feel like in your work, it's really, uh, it's kind of a magical light. It's a... It's like a fresco Quite light. spiritual light. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's how I learned to paint. That's how I taught myself how to paint, really, is just looking at tons and tons and tons of paintings, and they're all uh, historical paintings, you know, Renaissance, pre-Renaissance, and, you know, figuring out, looking at them, thinking, how how on earth did they do do that, and just working it out and trying and testing it out myself. And, uh, yeah, so I think that's definitely where where that technique has come from. Where was Absolutely. you seeing these paintings? You were brought up in the UK, right? Because yeah. Giovanelli is an Italian name. Yeah, my dad is Italian. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And but you you were seeing these these in the National Gallery, for example. Were you travelling around? Or? Yeah, National Gallery. Really, it was when I first went to art school. Um, I just started to do these. I call them pilgrimages to to various cities and countries to see like um, museum collections. So it'd be like in Berlin or. Cologne or Madrid, you know, all the, the Prado, all these incredible collections of oil oil paintings and old masters and just go there for a couple of days and just stare at these paintings. I just did that over and over again. Also in the UK, there's tons of great collections of paintings. And Like where? Where should where should people be going to see these? Obviously National Gallery. But National Gallery is a good one. Um, Wallace Collection. Wallace Collection, I was just about to say, yeah, yeah. that one. Um, where I live, Manchester, Manchester Art Gallery's got a great collection. Where you've had a show? Yes, I had a show there. I also did a few shows like around the North West, like the Grundy Gallery, oh, um, yeah. Touchstones Gallery in Rochdale. You know, they've all got good collections. But just anywhere, anywhere that I'd want to go for a trip, city break, I'd, first thing I'd do is find out, you know, what, so what's there. Oh, I love yeah, that. it's right. so fun, isn't it? To plan a trip around an exhibition. It also helps yes. you discover a city, like mm-hmm. in a way that you wouldn't otherwise. And um, there's nothing more magic, is there, than that, no. really, especially if you do it with friends. No, exactly. Why do you think it was that style of painting and that period in art history that you were drawn to? I mean, how old was you when you first saw these? Um, well, probably growing up, I, I saw them maybe more in books or, or when I went to the National Gallery as a teenager, but I'd say 18 when I started my foundation. But you um, were, why do you think you were drawn more to them than you were to, say, contemporary painters or pop art or...? I was drawn to all of that, and then this thing happened where, you know, I'd be looking at contemporary painters, say, or contemporary sculptors, and I'd be thinking, you know, how do they do that? What, who are they influenced by? And then I'd find their influence, and then I'd do the same thing. I'd go, who are they influenced by? And, you know, after a while, I was somewhere in the 13th century, you know, because <laughs> it's always a this... The door opens, the door opens, the door opens. Absolutely. Door, yeah. It's a bit like music, you know, music now, you think, how have they been influenced like that? And you find out who they were influenced by, and this succession of influence if you, in reverse, and then you end up at the source. But there's never really a source, because... I mean, there is, but, you know, you have to keep going back and back and back. So I think it was just that, um, just finding out, you know, where, where have these fundamental techniques come from? You're but an I'm an archaeologist, an art archaeologist. That's a great word for it, <laughs> yes. Excavating, yes. scraping back to light the surfaces <laughs> of your painting. Trying to find the originator. Time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's finding this, trying to find this simplicity, you know, where was it first done and, and when was it done the best, you know, and, and then it was... I ended up with the frescoes and Fra Angelico and Piero della Francesca and the Sienese painters and yeah, it's just I, I and I love history, you know, I love I love kind of exploring. 
I do too. Tower of London for me. I'm always walking around there, oh, seeing yeah. the, the, the <laughs> boys under the brothers under the stairs where they found the remains, and this is where they cut off Anne Boleyn's head. And traitors, gay. I'm always like, this is just. It's really interesting <laughs> that idea of frescoes as well. Like Russell's really close friends with um... Hannah Quinlan and Rosie Hastings. Yes, well, mm. I thought we finished each other's sentences. That's a talent, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and they've been focusing a lot on frescoes recently within their work, um, and they're part of that Pinchuk Art Prize at the moment. Yeah. But, but they that... went and travelled around and learned how yes. to do it with fresco makers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Is that I'd love to learn. That, I was about to say, is that something that you would be interested in? Like, getting yes. away from the canvas, maybe, and, and onto a wall? Well, you got, you got an Definitely. Arts Council funding, did, like, a grant for you to go and do this research, didn't they? Yes, yeah, yeah, that was part of the research. Um, yeah, to go on lots of trips and to, um, <clears throat> to find out. I think I was mostly researching, yeah, Sienese and Florentine painting then, so I went to San Marco, the convent of San Marco, you know, with all those... It's like an old Domes. monks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so then there's these incredible Fra Angelico paintings kind of painted on the, you know, right on the wall. And yeah, I would love to learn how to do that. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Or there's also the like painting like where you can't take it off the, off the wall. You know, it's got this permanence to it. Yeah. yeah. It's totally, I imagine it's a totally different technique to a canvas where, you know, you can wipe it off if you really want to or... You know. so I've seen that idea of monks as well. So you mm. made a painting, I think, called Host. <coughs> yes. Um, I love that painting. Me it's too. one of my favourite works by you. Can you speak a bit about that work in particular? Because sometimes it's nice for our listeners. We can post it on our Instagram. Yes. And then, you know, go into a bit of depth about that one particular work. Yes, that painting, that came from a much larger composition, um, which was a Fra Angelico uh, painting called The Mocking of Christ. Very good. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, there's these three figures. There's this beautiful kind of triangular composition of you know, this Jesus-like figure at the at the top, kind of in the middle, and then on the left there's this kind of looks like Mary, and then on the right there's this monk. And um, I think when I saw it, I was just very drawn to the monk's expression. It was just so kind of con- contemplative, and he was kind of looking down, and you know, there's all this other stuff going on in the composition, but he was just kind of in his own space. and Even though Jesus is in the room, he's just Yeah, like, there was yeah. that. Man, I've got other things on my mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's it. He was, you know, this, this action's happening elsewhere, and he's just like, mm, I'm in my own, own zone. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, just something very tranquil and peaceful about his expression, and, and I wanted to focus in on that. And, yeah, that's, that's a technique I use quite a lot, which is this cropping. You know, maybe there's lots of other things going on in in an art historical painting and I'll just focus in on this one one element that I find interesting or um, yeah, compelling in some way and, and make the whole painting about that, that one area. It looks like a Friar Tuck, doesn't he? Sort of yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting as well, like in those old paintings, how every single section of the painting is so charged in a way. Like I feel like so much energy was put into even like, I don't know, like a knife on a table or something. Or you know what I mean? Like, or the folds and curtains in the background, which we can get onto in a minute mm-hmm. with your work. Um, but It's I, all there for a reason. Nothing, yeah. is, nothing yeah. is surplus or just like peripheral, like, oh, that'll do, shove that in there. Everything is like has, has a sign. storytelling because yeah. that's how yeah. people got all their information. And a lot of it was for God. This mm-hmm. is an offering in some way, so it can't just be everything has to mean something. But mm-hmm. by you like highlighting that that monk, for example, like what does that sort of uh, you know bring to your work? Like like how, what does that achieve now? Like taking it out of that context and and putting it into this contemporary moment because mm-hmm. it's quite a specific approach, isn't it, to sort of highlight those moments? Yeah. Well, when I first, I mean that that monk that you saw at the Hayward, that's one of. Um, a series I work in series quite quite often. Maybe there's you know five, six, seven of the same image, but they all have they're all kind of a little bit different how I approach them. 
Um, but that, the first time I showed that uh, Monk piece was, was here, actually, this gallery and workplace, when I had a show here in 2018. And the rest of the works in the show were all kind of, they were figurative, but had they were much more verging towards the abstract. That's the first time I had the curtain pieces, like very, very large, kind of complex greys, very moody, really trying to create this mood and tone, uh, quite enveloping of the space. And then just this this host piece, or I think I had two in the show, it's very, very small. You know, the sh size shift was quite extreme. And um, yes, yeah, something about having those two things next to each other, these small portraits and the contemplative... Um, you know, expression on the monk's face alongside these curtains, this kind of gloomy curtain thing. It, yeah, it just creates, helps to create this atmosphere, this kind of very charged atmosphere that I was, yeah, trying to, trying to have the show really push. Um, and have it's almost like figures within systems, you know, it's kind of a psychological thing. I mean, these like very large, overwhelming systems, which are the curtains, or I was also doing these black leaf paintings that were quite, you know, very harsh monochrome things with like X's in them, and then just having this tiny little figure kind of with this expression. Yeah, I don't, really know, I don't know what it created, but it just it did create this kind of very charged atmosphere. Amazing. Yeah. Do, you just, do you just go out and make these works and you suddenly go, oh, wow, this all, this all works together, this story? Or are mm. you aware before you start bodies of work that you're going to have these, what these elements are? Because this feels very, we have got the monk as obviously religion, but then the, the curtains, these thick velvet curtains feel very theatrical, but also they feel like they're hiding something in a church. Religion mm. feels like it's a real big element. And I'm not sure if you are religious yourself, but it feels like religion is a big element to your practice. Yeah, it definitely is. You're not the first person to to pick up on that. Um, I mean, I'm I'm an atheist, but I think I did have a very religious upbringing, so p perhaps I'm just in interested like in it. Catholic upbringing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Catholic up upbringing. Um, you know, church all the time. I think I'm just, but I still see the um, the importance of religion as a kind of, you know, not not that I would. Not that I literally believe in it, but I do think it's very powerful and it, it created meaning for so many people. And in terms of art, it's just like the two things are exactly. just totally... Especially that period. Yeah, yeah, totally joined. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, the show also that I just opened recently with Grimm Gallery in New York, that that feels very religious, but in a kind of... But also there's this contemporary... Um, side of it as well. And you mentioned that the theatricality of the, of the curtains and... Yeah, I think, and the glitz and the glamour that you mentioned that you kind of got from the Hayward show, that, that's very prominent in this, because it's obviously a solo show, there's much more work to see, but all of, all of them together really create this, this atmosphere of um, worship almost, but contemporary modes of worship. So there's these paintings of um, like pop star and she's kind of spinning around and she looks like a disco ball and it's like gold and glitz and glamour and, and there's these like big dominating uh, diptych curtain pieces and then these then there's the carry um portrait obsessed with that portrait so it's always about this you know the prom queen the idea of um yeah theater performance spectacle contemporary modes of worship really you know when we go and see a pop star and we pay to, or pay to see a band or 
you know, we're, we're really having a religious experience. We don't mm. realise that we're doing it, but nothing's really changed fundamentally in terms of... Our icons know. have changed, it's but an it's icon. the same. It's a contemporary yeah, icon. people, but yeah. the same. And that's what's really... I wanted to... That was kind of why I flippantly mentioned the thing about Donatella Versace and Dua Lipa. It wasn't just yeah. because I was name-dropping, even <laughs> though you do know I love a name-drop. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was more that Dua, for example, walked in the room and she was actually like almost quite like an Amazon. Almost. She was like really tall and really like elongated in a way. So beautiful. But she was wearing these kind of seats Quinn pink and yellow um, Versace outfit and it actually really made me think about your paintings because there was something within the construction of that um, look that that I started to recognise in your work, this kind of like fascination with how images are created and, and also how icons are created and um, yeah and also that kind of artifice which might seem like you know theatricality, acting, all that stuff to some people may seem like um, you know like you're you're pretending something but actually it's the most honest kind of truthful um yeah. work to do and we sus- suspend belief when we see a, an acting performance we know that's a real person who has a real life but we mm. bind to it we suspend relief belief when we see these performers on stage we like we know we believe these songs we want to be carried by you and mm-hmm. that's what religion's always done yeah definitely and i suppose that's what painting is as well you suspend belief because that's what yes. you know when you go see a painting you're peering into this to this pictorial space, and, and you know it's artifice. You know it's just mud on the surface, yeah. but somehow it does does something. Just like yeah, just like acting does, just like theater performance, um, pop stars, fashion even. And again, that light is so fundamental with all of those things. I mean, when you go and see a pop star, like when you think about it, how how important is light in that situation? It's yeah. like really important because it just. Imagine if it's just a strip light above Beyonce. Yeah, just wouldn't quite. <laughs> <laughs> Carry the same thing. No, not I don't know, quite. I think she'd rock it. I mean, yeah, I okay. love everything. Beyonce she wasn't does. good effect. She'd manage. Every somehow. moment she breathes, I laugh. <laughs> so, but, when you yeah. talk about the process of time, how long does each painting take you? And and can you talk us through the process of what it is, the layer upon layer? Yeah, it's it's really hard for me to say how long each one takes because often I'm working on about ten to fifteen paintings at the same, same time. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's so so slow the way I work. It's oil paint. Each pigment has has its own drying time. Weirdly, you know, like a burnt umber will take you know one day to dry, and then an Indian yellow will take literally seven days. And you're like, okay, so I can't work on you for a week, so I have to work on something else. So it's really important to, to just bounce things around. Always be working on multiple things at the same time but so yeah I don't really know how long but I would just say it's slow a slow process and how many layers are normally on each page <clears throat> well it depends um say the curtain piece is probably five layers um you start with an underpainting that's often in like a um like a kind of burnt umber or yellow ochre or something like an earth earth color and then that dries and then you start to glaze over the top it's very you know old master technique quite traditional but yeah, it's nice at the same time. It, and also that technique really helps seal the image in. I mean, you know, with the curtain paintings you saw at the, the Hayward, it's got, they, all, they all end up with this ceiling feel. Like you know, the, glaze the, over the, it. Yeah, the very last one is like this opaque glaze just goes over the whole thing and it just pushes it back into this space. Um, I quite like, like that, trying to create two, two spaces within the canvas. So you have like the the literal surface and then the pictorial image which you view through. So you're seeing the curtain, but then you feel like there's something just pushing up against it, you know, creating, opening up a gap almost between the viewer and the image. 
And actually, the, the, the fabrics is one of the things that I connected with immediately with your work. And the, like, for example, the repetition of like the gold shirt. I don't mm -hmm. know if it's lame or silk. It could be all <laughs> different kinds of material. Yeah. Satin. Satin, yeah. But, but I, 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 I like that idea a lot. And I, I, the thing I like about old master paintings is when you see the curtains in the background, often I end up not looking at the figure. I end up looking at the, the folds in the fabric. Do you remember that stuff where you actually got told off, Tracy Emin told you off, because you used to keep cropping in on Instagram to fabric textures. Yes. You did the crop. He would have a whole feed That's in it. That's what I do. Is it really? <laughs> he would go in and be like a bit of like a wool woven thing or this kind of like chintz pattern or this mm. gingham or this whatever. And like jacquard jumpers. And she actually wrote to me and was like, Rob, just go and do a textiles degree. Like, if you're so into this, just, just leave the gallery. It was yeah. really funny. That's funny. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's, that's why the fabric stuff is really exactly. And there's an artist I, I've worked with in the past um, and now um, called Edith De Kint. And when she was a kid, she used to draw um, obsessively um, and also sew. But she said she always used to draw the um, the curtains in in paintings. So I've always with with her work as well. She does these drawings where you like keep mark making, mm. and through the mark repetitive mark making, she actually creates um, images of curtains. But it's, it's a completely different process to what to what with you're graphite, doing. Isn't it? Wow. So with graphite, isn't it? With graphite, yeah, and also with with biro as well. And the way that the ink then sinks into the paper. And I really yeah. wanted to tell you about her because I think you'd love her. Oh, I should her look, work. It, look It's at totally her, abstract, yeah. but yeah. it creates an idea of like some people see trees as well. You know, oh, okay. because it's like folds of, of fabric. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So what, what, how did you come to, like, wanting to present fabric in the painting? I think, again, it's, it's the interest in art historical. Fabric is just always present in every oil painting that you see. It's always like a figure and then, and then fabric. It's something to do, again, it's the, the light thing is fundamental. I mean, I do it with hair as well. I'm very interested in the folds of hair and how light kind of hits hair and creates these, these kind of, areas of reflection and then shadow and that's exactly what happens with curtains or fabric and it's it's how it reacts with light i think um creates this kind of sublime spectacle um thing going on but yeah with fabric i think yeah it has to be the the art historical thing and it's quite ominous as well i find like mm. i feel like i feel like with a lot of your work there's the curtains feel like what is behind there. We're not being shown that. And because they feel thick, they feel old, and there's, like, secrets behind there. Mm. You're talking about uh, the moment in Carrie. This is a moment of ecstasy where she's being named prom queen, and we know what happens at the end of Carrie where she just goes apeshit and kills everyone, but we're at this kind of mm. moment, uh, like a threshold where something bad's going to happen. There's a portrait of uh, Tippi Hedren in, in Birds, mm -hmm. the Hitchcock movie, but she's just about to be attacked by the birds. There's all these kind of moments, and you're capturing this element of we know something bad is happening, we know something ominous is on the horizon, but the, the people you're portraying have no idea. Like the pop mm. star spinning around, it makes me think of the bodyguard with Whitney Houston like singing a torch song and suddenly she's got some stalker who might shoot or stab her. There's like this kind of... Ominous threat. Oh, there's a threat yeah. to, your, to the works constantly, mm. but it, it's, really enti it's really enticing, it's really kind of it's like movie it's like you're watching a movie that moment in the movie where the music amps up mm -hmm. yeah definitely there's a filmic um kind of yeah threat of the threat is is very prominent i'm glad you picked up on that actually yeah there's always these moments where it's there's like emotional ambiguity i mean especially with the carry with the tippy hedron portrait that, that was just when she was being attacked by the birds but her expression is it's very ambiguous, you know, it could be like ecstasy, it it's could be sexual, like, yeah. yeah, it could be that, it could be screaming, you just don't know, it's like frozen in this moment. Um, 
and yeah, the same with the carry it's just that moment when she's like really really happy and then we all know what happens after that you know um, and I suppose with the curtains as well there's this sense of you know have, have I just missed something is something about to happen this this charged you know the curtain stage is set something is going to happen action something's now. about to be revealed or you need to go and find out what's behind there or don't pull back the curtain is exactly what it's yeah and it's like whether whether you're sat here you know in the audience looking at the curtain or whether you're the other side as well you know whether you're the performer, performer. yeah but the, yeah there's definitely a filmic aspect to to all my work and I love all, films, but yeah. these are all found images. You you pause a lot of movies. It's never from the imagination, right? These are all images that you've sort of. Um, it's a mixture. I mean, yeah, the the portrait ones, the Tippy Hedger and the the Carrie, that they're found images, but they're they're from the actual film. And I slow it down and um, pause pause at just the right moment, and then I kind of put it through this um, process to create the the what would you even call it, the kind of graininess. The grade of it. Yeah. Of the, of the 70s kind of quality, 80s quality of VHS tapes at the time. You, you yeah. celebrate that. These, these images that you're finding aren't crystal clear. They no, have it wouldn't that sort work. of pause when you're at home, when you're a kid and you pause it on TV and you'd have that sort of like shake. Mm-hmm. Flickering. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, it wouldn't work with like super HD, like Netflix movies now. There's, there's <laughs> nothing to work with. I mean, and again, going back to a conversation about the physicality of the paint itself, it's like... The image, it works a lot better when the image is kind of barely there, when it's just like a starting point, a reference, where it's not too oversaturized, too HD, because then the paint can't take it in any, any other direction. It just has to be kind of crap, the image. And then, and then I can take it to the next level with, with paint. But if it was a HD, you know, super like highly rendered image, there would be no shadow, there'd be no kind of coloration you know it's the depth that's missing in some ways yeah but that that coloration of th- those films is very important i mean it just speaks to a certain um time, time like era. Kodak. yes yeah, yeah exactly but also i don't know if you saw the the other paintings i did of um the singers they kind of yeah there's something that was one or two at the hayward but With the long acrylic nails yeah that came got like a glitter ball glitter ball kind of like sparkle yes through them and yeah again the light has been a the big light element. thing light phenomena but they came from old Soul Train videos, you know, of like seventies oh, wow. or eighties, and you know. Really and they had these long acrylic nails then. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's all back now, isn't it? It's like cyclical fashion. Yes, they. Yeah, they're so great. It's something. Yeah, I, I'm, I was I was looking for backing singers that had these particular nails. It was important because again, it's the glitz and glamour and the over saturation of like female beauty and mm. yeah. And um, was it specifically something about the backing singer? Because like that's someone yeah. obviously in the background a bit like the curtains were in the background as well or something. Yeah, well, th- those particular backing singers were from it was like Barry White and Love Unlimited, so wow. they used to sing with him. But but that series is called Caryatid, which is the name of it's what you call those um, female statues that hold up Greek buildings. You know, oh, like yes. they are the the statue. What are they called? Caryatid. Caryatids. Caryatids. Yeah. Um, so they're like pillars, but they're shaped in the yeah in the um, yeah form of a of a female. <clears throat> and yeah, I was just interested in that connection, especially with backing singers. You know, the idea that there's this front man or front, you know, person who's singing at the front, and then, but actually, what's happening at the back could potentially be more interesting, or that's actually keeping together the whole um, band. And you know, they're they're always pushed to the back, but <clears throat> they're actually more integral to the music than perhaps even the the front. The man. lead person, yeah, and also they're they're the kind of like the foundations, aren't they? They're totally. Like the, the strength within within that whole structure. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're making us notice the overlooked. Absolutely, yeah. And I, yeah. is that what... The repetition you're saying, like there's five or six versions of the monk, there's five or six mm-hmm. versions of Carrie, which is the title of that is auto da fe, which actually means the burning of a heretic. It does mean that, but that the uh, it's the other meaning that I'm more interested in. It's it's a um, Portuguese saying which means act of faith. So, and that that was the title of the show in uh, Grimm Gallery, and like we were saying earlier, you know, this idea of contemporary modes of worship. When we go to see a performance or theatre or play, it's an act of faith, isn't it? These these moments like. Religious, um, yeah. yeah, pilgrimages. But what does the what does the, the repetition mm. give you? And do you? And is every single one of your paintings another version of the same exist? Do you repeat everything, every image you make, or is it only certain images? No, I repeat every image. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hardly ever make just one one painting. It's always I always make at least two, three, four. Is yeah. there a limit to like how many you would do? Um, I, no, not not consciously, but but yeah, I, I I never really go more than maybe eight. But eight. It's but the repetition. It's it's a device, and and I I really like to show them together as well. It's not like I'm just making them and then not showing them together. It's it's a it's a decision to make to repeat the imagery. It's like this testing again, 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 testing the validity of the image to see like why. Why am I interested in this? Why does this work as an image? And by testing it out and doing it a few times, you know, there's subtle changes that happen and it reveals things um, to me as the artist, but also to the viewer, and especially when you see them together. It creates a very eerie feeling as well in, in an exhibition if you see something two, three times, you know, and it's slightly different. Will you hang them together? I have, have hung them together, yeah, sometimes. But they'd never be like a diptych or a triptych, they're individual works. They're individual, yeah, yeah. So, so sometimes I hang them side by side, other times they've been hung, you know, one on that wall, one on the other side of the wall, the other side of the room. And it creates this uncanny feeling, you know, like, oh, I've seen that image before, yeah. you know, and it's very bit spooky. We, um, we interviewed Ronnie Horn a while ago, and she does mm. photography, sorry, they do photography, which, um, which is like the same person, but could be shot over the space of a minute. But in that minute, you might have had nature, like raining on a person's face or what have you. And then you get these very different kind of images that almost look the same, but aren't. Mm. And there is something really amazing about when you see one or um, two or three or four, but you, you get to see these slight subtle shifts. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, and it, it got me thinking a lot about this interrogation that seems to be the kind of bedrock of what, what you're all about, yeah. in a way, into human psychology. Because even the way that like filmmakers will manipulate our emotions, um, you know, these kind of theatrical devices with, with music, but, but actually really with, with, with the visual moment, I, I find it so, so interesting within your work, that kind of like thread that runs through this like deep interrogation into psychology and almost like how we're controlled, you know, mm-hmm. a bit like how religion can control um, you know, people to act in a certain way on mass. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah, that's really no. Good. This, <laughs> this excavating and like this yeah. constant trying to explore further mm. and further and unravel. But there, there's a quote you said. I'm going to quote you. Okay. You can imbue seemingly simple images with meaning simply by painting them. So you're giving yeah. these these simple things. I don't think they're that simple, but they might. Mm-hmm. You know, in the grand scheme of everything but you're giving them something, you're giving them weight suddenly Mm -hmm. and you're making, I guess by the repetition, making people really notice that image. If you have Mm -hmm. one image of something, you go, okay, I've got that and you move on. But I guess if there's a few of them and they're slightly tonally different or they might be slightly like different compositionally, like minutely, Mm -hmm. it does make you, which is what you seem to want to slow down Mm. and really notice what you're showing us. Yeah, definitely. And it it reminds me of, I can't remember which one of you said it earlier on, but you know, just the fa- very fact of using paint, oil paint, it's loaded, it's charged. So you make one mark and it it speaks to the whole of art history. Yeah. You know, it's just an incredibly charged medium and I don't think any other medium necessarily has that. So yeah, if you're and especially if you're a figurative painter and you you know, there's a, there's an image that maybe is part of everyone's collective consciousness, like they carry a little bit or, you know, certain images and then you paint them in oil paint and you freeze them in time, it's like it really charges that that image. And yeah, the repetition thing, it is definitely a way of... I talk about this quite often, yeah, trying to make the viewer slow down. Mm. I think painting can really do that over any other medium, um, especially in the art world. It's very fast-paced, isn't it? And, like, um, super kind of just quick quickly got that. Ab- it's Instagram culture isn't it got that like move on yeah. that image got that yeah, yeah. scroll 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 yeah, whereas yeah. if it's like two images or three it's like look again look again look again you know yeah. just slows well, so everything something that I keep thinking about is this idea that say something like Carrie it was a movie that obviously had millions of viewers around the world and it really sort of struck a chord with um, people internationally and then somehow it gets reduced to being like oh well that's really popular so it's not you know it's like throwaway or something mm. and that people forget that the reason it connects to such a massive audience is because there is something really amazing about that film you know it's like um, I often think like pop culture gets like just sort of slagged off very quickly and then chucked away when actually it I think to to represent it in in your in your paintings is like I don't know it's kind of giving it a sort of new way of looking back at it or something, like a reverence or something. Mm. But I'm not sure again, if Again, it's making us like, notice it again. But yeah. I think the thing with Carrie, and I was actually watching the end clip after like, looking at this image again the other day, it's on YouTube, it, it, it's like a high school massacre by someone yeah. who is rejected, bullied, told they're yeah. a piece of shit, and at the end they get revenge and mm. they kill everyone in the school. And this is pre the darkness of what we've seen over and over again in America with Columbine and stuff mm-hmm. like that. This movie was kind of <coughs> very future thinking of what the effects could be on someone if you antagonise them so much. Mm. I don't know what that says about your art, but I just think about, <laughs> like, you're talking about how it then becomes... That's why Carrie is such a big reference point for movies mm. and why it is referenced so much. And I guess why, you know, Carrie White is a great reference for you with your narrative. Mm. 
I think there's definitely a threat of it's that threat of violence, but yeah. the, the very subtle and how it just it's so close to desire and sex and all those things. Like it's just they just they bump up against each other, like an image like that, or even I don't know if you saw the the, the paintings I made of. Uh, the Peeping Tom uh, film, which is like a 50s British horror film. And um, it's about this guy who goes around with a camera, like a movie camera, and he's filming all these women. And then there's this one scene where he's filming this woman and you can see her neck. And then the tripod comes up and there's a knife in the tripod. There's this amazing image that I made into a painting of like a shadow of a knife on her neck. neck. Yeah, so it's like this beautiful kind of reference to like... Um, the Renaissance, you know, these Madonnas, and, like, you've seen that neck, you've seen that female body so many times, but it's actually, like, a 50s British cult horror film. Um, and this idea that... And she's actually, in that scene, she's actually looking through the lens of his camera at her own death. So it's this, like, weird situation where it's, like, self-reflective. Mm. And then you, as the viewer, are kind of inculcated in that because we're watching that happen through his camera. So, yeah. You can't so, stop it happening. Yeah, it's almost yeah. like a threat, like kind of frenzied sort of violence versus mm. like sort of ecstasy and kind of tranquility or just calm, kind of, calm, there's a calm weird, before the storm. Exactly. There is a really weird connection though in those movies between like violence and sex. I actually have a real problem with a lot of it now because like I just I just feel like you see so much um, violence towards women in TV shows, in movies like way more than you necessarily would see towards men and I sometimes just have to turn things off because I'm just like I called Lindsay the other week we were, we were watching like a Norwegian um, Lindsay Mendick who you know is a friend oh of yeah 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 uh, well Instagram buddies oh, okay. no we we just said hello on Instagram oh, right. <laughs> that counts now does it yeah, yeah of course yeah. your bezels yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway I, I just have a problem with the way it, it seems to be perpetuated it's like it's like well a, you couldn't watch The Handmaid's Tale well I know I ended up watching I watched it all but that was yeah. that was that was like relentless well yeah I watched the first series and it was incredible and then I tried to watch the second series and it was so violent towards women that I just couldn't handle it and then I skipped through a few episodes and then managed to continue but it's just I don't know I just think it's a weird it's a really tough one to kind of unpick really yeah um on a happier note yes in your studio when you're making a work do you listen to music what are your favorite foods to eat oh okay um yes i listen to music i listen to lots of podcasts and um what podcasts you listen to uh what do i listen to i listen to i'm quite interested well this one talk art <laughs> no, I was like, oh. <laughs> oh okay rude yeah. No, I did actually. The last podcast I listened to was was you guys uh, with Ralph. Yeah, oh, I thought great. that was that was a really great one. Yeah, oh, cool. yeah. But yeah, it's usually podcasts, audiobooks, music. Because I paint for so long every day, literally like eight hours. It's like you, there's only so much music you can listen to, and then you go a bit, a bit mad. So you make yourself go to the studio every day. Oh yeah, I go every day. Yeah. What like weekends as well? Yes. So this week you've been in London. Have you? Do you have a sketchbook? No, this has been my bits of week week off. Yeah, but then I go back and you'll be straight in there. I know I should take a bit more time off. Yeah, but and this is because get itchy, you know, if I'm at home and I'm not, I can't really take any time off. I just you're in Manchester. Yes, yeah, studios in Manchester. How far away do you live from the studio? Oh, hard to say. Um, Maybe half an hour on the public transport. Yeah. When you have a week off like you've just had, Mm. do you find yourself still thinking up ideas of like next works? Oh God, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, and I said, I do feel quite like eager to get back and just need to get in there. Did you go freeze masters? 
I did go, yeah. Did you get photos of crops of any <laughs> masterpieces in there? You're there was so many, wasn't there? It was just, yeah. it was amazing. Yeah. yeah, I kind of, yeah, I wish I'd started at Freeze Masters and then gone to Freeze because it was just, yeah, I felt a bit fatigued by the time I got to Masters. I was like, oh my God, heavy hitter after heavy hitter. after. It's just, just incredible, everything in there. Amazing. I'm beginning to realise that, like, you know, you just said, like, I should take more holidays. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I think Russell and I feel the same sometimes. But then when I go on holiday, I just end up wanting to make more, more podcasts away. or more, <laughs> you know, more, I don't know, looking at more art or yeah. even, like, trying to find collectors for art or that kind of thing. Like, you know. Well, art infects everything, doesn't it? And if yeah. you're thinking about it all the time. Yeah, it's even like if I go on holiday, I'm just going to art galleries. So it's not really a. Well, it is a holiday, I suppose, but you're still thinking, like, okay. I have to go see this painting, this painting, I have to speak to this person, I have to do this. It's like... I guess that means yeah. we, we found our... Work is our, more fun than fun. Yeah, we kind of... Oh, yeah. We, we, <laughs> you know, you found your purpose in life. Do you so. ever get frustrated with yourself that you've given yourself such a hard technique or, or a laborious technique to create your art? Do you ever think... <laughs> so oh, meticulous. Why, why have I not just gone... Why have I not just made it easy for myself? Funnily, like I think I would find it more difficult to to not use any of the, these techniques. You know, I, I'd find it. What's horrifying to me is the idea of just a blank canvas and then I just paint something from my imagination. Like that, I couldn't. I couldn't do that. I'm just not that type of artist who's wired that way. Like I, I'm. When when someone can do that really well, I'm blown away. I think it's. I think it's so clever. But so these processes, these techniques, I've been perfecting them for years now, and it's like, it's um, it's quite methodical. You know, it's like I know how I'm going to approach this now. I need to need to do this underpainting. I need to, then tomorrow I'm going to do this part and this part and this part. And that compartmentalizing of all the different routine parts within a routine. It is a routine. Yeah, I do like the routine of it. Yeah, I mean, there's still plenty of room for maneuver and you know inventiveness within that. But I need the <clears throat> these like building blocks. These kind of integral building blocks are really important for how I how I make the paintings. Yeah. And how do you feel now? Like the show mixing it up, you are for me one of the standout artists in that show and there's a lot of artists in there yeah. your work and you're getting a lot of attention and a lot of people are wanting to acquire your work and museums what does that feel like at this stage in your career and as a person as an artist how, how are you dealing with all that yeah it, it's a bit yeah it is a bit overwhelming sometimes I mean I think just having all these things come at the same time like the Hayward show the Grimm show Freeze all in the same you know opening week it's like yeah, can be a bit overwhelming in the attention, but ultimately I know I can just go to the studio and close the door and, you know. Turn your phone off. Yeah, just, yeah, turn off notifications helps a lot. I guess dealers are happy that you're making multiple versions of favourite paintings that people want. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, 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 the carry one, I'm obsessed with, yeah. obsessed. <laughs> and I, how many versions of that are there? Um, currently three. So it's currently three. Yeah. One, was, one was at Freeze, one yeah. was in the Hayward show from here. No, there, it wasn't in the Hayward show, no. There's not, that's not in the Hayward show? No, I think you're thinking of the Tippy Hedron one. Tippy Hedron's yeah. in the Hayward show, and that, but that was in the show here with Carrie as well. Um, no, that was the Grimm Gallery one, so Carrie's... There's one in the Grimm, Grimm show currently, and there's one on the Freeze booth at, yes. at the moment. And the other one is still... The other one... Oh, there was, there was, sorry, there's two in the Grimm show. Russell's just trying to find out where it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> no I'm sorry, I can't <laughs> How do I locate... so naughty. <laughs> I love that he's one. Like, and it's currently in Manchester. <laughs> he asked you earlier, he's like, how far away do you live from your studio? Can you tell us the route? Yeah, right, he's, like, he's like desperately trying to get to your studio. I love that one. I see But that's, that's good though for people that 
love images that you have multiple versions of like so how many of their yeah. TV, for example and yeah i can't remember now maybe maybe five or six but yeah it's i mean plenty of artists do that have done that in art history you know like um manet there's many versions picasso's there's like eight versions i think it's like a very common thing that artists will like i said earlier like this the repetition it's like a testing of the image so you know and then you get you know, connoisseurs of picasso be like oh this is definitely the best one. Oh no this one's <laughs> definitely the best one it's yeah, I like I like I like that idea um, of it in the series. Yeah, and they're always different. Like I say, so the ground might be a different color, or I might slightly change the cropping, and you know, and then a few months will go by, and I'm like, oh, that, the last one was definitely the best one, yeah. or the first one was definitely the best one. Yeah, and framing yeah. as well. You tray tray frame a lot of your smaller works, and then yeah. there was a work you painted on a book, mm-hmm. which is incredible, and you've sort of float mounted that so you can see the edges of the book. A lot a lot of artists the framing isn't something they really consider, but it feels like something that that's part of the kind of language as well with your work. Yeah, the framing. I never used to frame frame things, but I think especially with the smaller ones, it it helps. If you get a really nice thin frame and the, the wood, you know, you can kind of get it um, tinted, a colour that's actually within the, the painting itself. I think it, it really helps just give it a bit more weight. Um, the big ones, not so much. I like them to be... Yeah, right. You know, on their own, but yeah, small ones. I think it's it's a nice touch. Is your um, experience as an artist quite a solitary one, or is Manchester a place where you have like a big peer group of artists and a kind of artistic community that's like supportive? Uh, a bit of both. I think I, I am a solitary artist. Um, yeah, like I stud- I remember I studied in Frankfurt, the Städelschule, for yeah. two years, and. Um, the Städelschule, <laughs> yeah, that's where I did like equivalent of an MA. And um, before that, I'd been working and you know practicing artists on my own and doing shows, and then going back to working with in a studio, like a communal studio of, of people. I felt found a bit difficult, but um, but great at the same time. Um, but yeah, when when that was done, I just yeah back to my old studio again and closed the door. And yeah, I find it hard to paint with people also there. We used to go and visit um, Cubit in London like a long, long time ago, like about 15 years ago. And I always remember sitting in a studio visit there with um, Ellen Cantor, who's now passed away sadly, but she was an amazing artist. And um, I remember sitting in her studio visit and you could hear all the other artists in their Mm. other um, rooms. And it was really weird because I was like, you don't actually get to sort of just lose yourself in that moment. You really have to like chill out from all the noise. Yeah, that's what some music or headphones or yeah. I mean, a, a little bit of um, you know, it, it it's nice. I mean, I'm in the communal studio at the moment. I'm going to move actually to a, to a much bigger one soon. But um, a little bit of buzz outside is always nice, you know, and being able to be like, right, put the paint brushes down, go have a coffee or a beer or something. That's that's great. But I, yeah, it's like trying to find the balance between between those two things. I don't think I'd like to be in a big studio just on my own, like no one else there. Um, I do like to be connected to other artists. I think it's important, mm. you know, to have those conversations and, um, yeah, I think. And who, I like who that. are artists that you um, respect and admire within your kind of generation? Oh God, I I don't look at that much. I really, really? don't know. Oh, <laughs> I mean, there are some. I can't think of the top of my head, but um, yeah, I find it. If I look at too much art that's going on now, especially like people my age, or so, I just it's too too much distracting yeah it is i'd like i really like to just not just focus on my own stuff yeah that way you don't start other people's ideas don't get mixed up in your own in the same the other ways yeah interesting yeah and what about manchester as a location is manchester Mm -hmm. somewhere that gives you inspiration and you feel 
<clears throat> yeah, I love Manchester. I think, yeah, I really love the city. It's um, very vibrant, a lot going on music-wise. It's it's amazing. Um, it, it's meant, being in Manchester has meant that I have been able to basically be full-time artist since I graduated, you know, wow. just because it's not as expensive as London. You can get a much bigger studio there. And, yeah, the history there I really enjoy as well, like all the red brick buildings, the mills, the industrial yeah. history of it all. Um, yeah. So, Do you feel like you it. might end up having a location here as well at some point in London? Um, yeah, it's not something I'd rule rule out. Yeah, could have two studios, three studios. Well, yeah, surely <laughs> Italy or something. Surely you should have yeah. a studio. <laughs> yeah, I mean, God, there's so many great locations on there. Um, but yeah, as a base, Manchester's really great. But yeah, I, I love travelling around. I've done a few residencies. I spent a while in New York to open my new show and. Yeah, I was in Dubai before that. That was super wow. weird. Did I tell you about that? No. Well, you know the because there's still restrictions on UK to US. Yeah. So I couldn't, you, you can't go to the US unless, if you've been in the UK or Europe for 14 days. So I had to go and just like sit in Dubai for 14 days wow. <laughs> so that I could fly to New York. That was an experience. But did you have to stay isolated in your hotel room? Or? Uh, no, you just have to not be anywhere in Europe or the UK. So it's just about the passports. They stamp it like, right, you've left on this day and then... You can just do what you want for They've 14 days. They've got great days. museums there, though. Like, collections there are incredible, no? Did you are they? see anything? I, no. so, <laughs> I didn't see much. I didn't know. I mean, yeah, I did I did go do a bit of sightseeing, but it was, like, 45 degrees. I was, oh, really? I was just done. Oh, major heat. I just guess. sat by the pool, yeah. Well, talking about restrictions, <laughs> like, being locked down, how it affects artists, there was a certain happy accident which I discovered about you. You talked about hair earlier on and the luminosity mm. and light hitting hair. Mm. But because you didn't have a lot of access to real hair i guess you purchase a lot of wigs yes yeah 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 the the the, ha- the new hair pieces at the moment the plexus works of the blonde hair yeah they're from they're from wigs yeah i've got i've got a ton of wigs and i but also it's i mean i could i could access people's hair if i really wanted to but then you have to deal with the person as well so i'd, <laughs> rather, I'd rather just have the wig and then you can help them and then give it back it, that's it that's it yeah it's that's more like one of the horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be watching. Well, yeah, but the hair, but the hair again is like from behind, close up of someone's hair. It's like that movie kind well, of quite image of yeah, Hitchcock. Yeah. You kind of see someone looming behind, about to grab, you know, mm. the hair, the woman, whoever's got carrying that hair. Yeah, is about to be. Yeah, it, again, yeah, thinking about films. That's that's how I first I think became interested in, in the idea of like the back of a woman's hair is from the Tarkovsky film. I can't remember, if it, is it Solaris? I can't remember which one. It's just like a shot, a really slow shot of the back of her neck and hair. And, yeah, you just see it and you, you, it just reminds you of the Renaissance and, yeah, all the, all of this historical weight to it. But, but yeah, the, the, the wig thing, it's all about just being able to have that time to control the light and create the, the tone and the shadow and, like, move the light in certain ways to create these reflective areas and oh, so you'd properly yeah. set it up like in the studio with the lighting yeah wow. yeah yeah i've got like a you know mannequin head thing and put it on and like move the hair in certain ways and light and yeah did you, did you ever do life drawing or, or was drawing a big thing you did when you were sort of you know learning all of these skills because i feel like you're a very skilled um artist yeah i have done life drawing before but i have to say yeah drawing's n- never been such a big part of what i do it's usually i, I attack the canvas like straight straight away um like i'm not i don't really think in line like i think in volume and tone and uh, light you know so that's why when i was talking about underpaintings you you know you put have a canvas and you cover it completely with a color and then you pick out the light value so you literally like wipe the the paint off and that creates the tone and then the shape whereas drawing is much more like 
you have to think very differently. I think it's more difficult. It's really difficult wow, to draw. It's like a really 3D kind of yeah, concept 3D. of painting. Yeah, that's really interesting. it's like mod- modelled and kind of mm. rendered. That's, that's how I think in terms of shape. So whenever I'm looking for images or, you know, the images that always kind of strike me that, you know, I encounter are always ones that are to do with light and tone and volume and it's never, never a line, line thing or a drawn thing. Yeah. So you'll be back in studio on Tuesday for Chubby Bit Monday, or would uh, you go straight to studio Monday? Yeah, probably go straight back. Mon- yeah, I, I need to get back because we're moving studios, so I need to start building some walls. Yeah. That's exciting. That's exciting. Yeah. So we ask every guest two questions. The first is, if you could do an art heist, which we will support you, we will bring lorries and vans and helicopters and Donatella Versace. We're going to lawyer up um, in case <laughs> anyone tries to sue you for stealing. <laughs> You're totally legally protected. Um, what, what artwork would you, you heist? Or um, it could be anything, really, like from history. I think it would probably be... Um, can I take a fresco off the wall? Yeah. yeah, we can just take. No, we'll take the whole wall. We'll take the. Yeah, we're not done. Whole structure. Yeah. On, we'll, okay. We'll move mountains. They can do that, can't they? They can actually take frescoes off, off the wall. And Banksy's and things like that oh get taken God. off now, don't yeah. they? All the street artists. Wow. People like literally take all the bricks out of the wall and then reconstruct so, it and yeah. sell it at Christie's. Awful. Wow, yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. Uh, probably. No, yeah. It is awful, but he does do that for like. Charities. Well, I don't think it's well. I think it's nice when there's like someone that's struggling, and then they put Banksy. Yeah, 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 that's Then true. they're able to take that wall down, sell it, and then they get. Yeah, the charity the gets the money. Like no, 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 that's true. These, yes. these appear, but anyway, sorry. Fresco. Fresco. Probably a Fra Angelica fresco from from the San Marco convent. Any wow. of them? Yeah, I can't remember the names. Maybe there's one called the Mocking of Christ. I feel like that's one of them. But and what? What? what yeah. Where is that in Florence? Uh, yes, the convent of St. Marco, which I think is in Florence, I'm pretty sure. Amazing. Yeah. I just take the whole room cool. as well, because it's very... You don't get this a lot with painting, do you? But as soon as it's a fresco, it becomes this zone of contemplation. You go in and the light's very low and it's like a low ceiling and you've got this archway. So I just take the whole room and put it in my house. That would be good. Cool. <laughs> it is, that is a religious experience for you then? Yeah, it is. It's not just about the painting. It's like this experience this yeah psycholo- psychological change of like entering and being at one with this image yeah it's very religious isn't it yeah <laughs> but that's also how it's constructed it's yeah. like how, that's yeah. almost how because spirituality i think is more within us but i think like religion and those structures that's kind of like a technique they they've, they've used including light like you're talking about the dimmed lights the hush mm. the kind of elevation of and the frescoes mm. on the ceiling or, or panels on the yeah. ceiling, so you have to look up, which is about contemplation of... Yeah. I remember going to the Vatican in Rome and just being so blown away by the, um, you know, the, the paintings on yeah. the ceiling and, like, and actually how, I, how it does elevate everything and it does feel so joyous and so, like, it's amazing, it could, the psychological effect it can have on you. Well, you don't get mm. that experience in daily life where you're looking up. How regularly do you look up? No, it's true. In your yeah, surroundings yeah. above you. Yeah. You don't really, we're all kind of forward-thinking or down... Yeah. to the floor of our phones. Mm. Well, painting really used to change people's behaviour, didn't it? I mean, th- what you're saying about the, you know, going to those places where the painting's all over the ceiling, I mean, that was obviously the intent, wasn't it, to go in and just literally changing people's behaviour. I suppose we have it with different things now. Mm. Painting doesn't do that so much anymore. If you paint the ceiling, it would. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be celestial. Yes. Um, uh, what is your favourite colour? Um... It's Probably turquoise green. Turquoise green. Something, yeah. Turquoise green. And why? Why turquoise. that colour? Um, I don't know. I, I guess because it's some. So I sit somewhere in between green and blue. 
I don't, yeah, probably more of like a grey version of that. Probably, you know, the colour of the curtain that is in Freeze? Yeah, yeah. That, that colour. Mm. Which is like grey-green. Like iridescent what is, what, sort of. Yeah. What does it make you f- sort of feel? like That colour? Yeah. For you to choose that particular colour. Invincible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know, it's... Contemplative, I guess. It's, I think because it's not, because it sits somewhere between, like in the middle of the color spectrum somewhere. Like red is too much, isn't it? It's like, and like blue, just the idea of blue is too much. It needs to be muted, pastely, somewhere in between. Wow. Yeah. Do you live with your own art, like in your house? No, and I need to change that. I have don't have a single one of my own paintings in my oh, house. Oh, really? Yeah, you must. You must keep some. I'm good. Yeah. Do you hold stuff back though? For your... No. So you clear your studio out every yeah, time? Yeah, it's really show. bad. Actually, I've made a decision. Like for, from the New York show, I've kept one painting. Oh, kept really? your favourite painting. Oh, that's good to know. <laughs> so now he, now he knows where it is. <laughs> he can do an art heist. Yeah, I know where it is. <laughs> how, do you, how do you feel when, when the work leaves you and it goes to collectors and you don't see it again? Does he, do you feel bereft or are you okay with it? Yeah, I think I had to overcome that a while ago. Just just had to accept it. Um, but it is a shame now with all empty walls in my house. I'm going to change that a little bit and, yeah, have my own collection. But, yeah, whatever. It has its own life now. It enters the the rest of the world. Sometimes the collectors show me where they put it, though, and I like that. You know, it's good. Good to see where they end up. Oh. What is the... Final question. What is the best advice you have ever had? Ever had? Yeah, in terms when of... it comes to your art... Oh god, what is the best advice? Um probably just just cut just go into the studio. Just make it a routine. Um just just work really hard really. Yeah. In art school they'd just be like, You're not gonna learn how to paint unless you practice it. You know the ten thousand hour rule thing? No, what's that? Um, can't remember who said it now, but there's this idea that if you want to perfect any kind of skill, you have to do it for 10,000 hours, you know, whether it's a musical instrument or um, anything. 10,000 hours is where you have to get the skill, so I'd say the 10,000 hour rule of Wow, I've never heard of that. How many years is that? How does that work? It's basically what we've just done with talk art paints over the last three years. It feels like And we haven't perfected it. What's going wrong? It's still absolutely useless. And to flip that then, what's the best advice that you would give a younger artist now that's listening? Honestly, just probably the same advice. It's just like you have to practice. It sounds quite boring, doesn't it? But just just practice what you're doing. You have to be good at what you do. You know, there's this whole idea of like, it's not, what you do, it's who you know. That's not right. It's definitely, that's not, that's bullshit. Like, it, you have to be good, and then it can become important as well who you know. But if you just know people or just connected and you're not very good, like, those people aren't going to, because it looks bad on them, right, to to promote you. You have to be good at what you do so that then the connections are, are valuable. But this whole idea of, like, oh, it doesn't, you know, don't worry about the, the skills, the techniques, the actual art. It's all about, like, the networking and the schmoozing and it's where so you nice, live and yeah, yeah. all of that is, I'd say, very secondary. You just just have to really perfect what you're doing and have confidence in the art that you make and, and love the art that you make and then all of that comes. And you love your own help. work. <laughs> well, uh, not, I always know when I finish it, I always don't really like it, but um, 
I love it when I'm making it. You're not one of those artists who, if you see, if you went to a collector's house and you saw it, you'd want to like start changing it. <laughs> oh God, yeah, probably. Well, I don't, I don't see it so often, see them so often in collectors' houses. But yeah, probably, yeah. But then sometimes I have the opposite thing where something leaves my studio. And I'm like, oh God, that is so terrible. I can't believe. I just wish I had one more week on it, but it has to go. And then I see it a few months down the line. I'm like, who made that? That's great. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's that, but then other times it's like. I think it's really great, and I'll see it again. I'm like, oh, that's shocking. So it's a bit of both. That might just depend on your mood on the day. I think so. All the works I've seen by you are <laughs> extraordinary. Yeah, um, well, thank you. Thank you so much for spending this hour with us. And yeah. by the way, if you heard, like, rumbling, it's because we're actually in a gallery that's, like, lower level, and there's a <laughs> tube that keeps driving oh. past. I keep hearing it going to Oxford Circus. I actually really love it. I feel like it's super <laughs> atmospheric, which is... Well, it's the archaeology of London, isn't it? it is, we're peeling back the layers. That's like, it. We, we've, you Louise need another 10,000 hours, darling. <laughs> that was a really, like, embarrassing outro. <laughs> um, for all images, please go to at TalkArt on Instagram. And you're on Instagram? Yes. Louise underscore 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 Giovanelli. Oh, three underscores. Three. Three layers. That's it. There we go. Gap between the names. Layer, layer, layer. layer. Oh, <laughs> and we are in uh, the Workplace Gallery. They let us in, so thank you very much, Workplace. They let us in. <laughs> they let us in. They let us record <laughs> here at horror. 40 uh, Margaret Street, yep. um, where you had your inaugural exhibition. Yep. Yep. Uh, so thank you very much, Workplace, and thank you very much, Grim Gallery, and for everything else, just go to at TalkArt, and yep. we'll be back very soon. Thank you, guys. Thank you, it's been See great. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Hi. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,